Anchor. You can just submit things on there now. So they can go to Anchor and submit stuff to us? They can submit stuff to us, and we can respond to it. Uh, and it's free. It costs nothing, which is pretty sick. Uh, because before, we were just dumping money into a site that would, you know, hold it ransom. I literally had to pay a different site. I had to pay to get in to download our stuff to put it on Anchor. Really? Yeah, I had to pay uh, like $15 because I let it expire to just get our stuff off and put it up on Anchor. And Anchor will never do that. So, all right. Yeah, we just get it all the time. Do you, do you have the app on there? Can we respond through the app? Yeah, you can download the app. You can respond to the things through there. You can edit your podcast through there. You can like you can record it so you can take it to your friend's house and just record it through your phone and post huh. it instantly. And and anyone that eventually chooses to contact us can contact us through there too. So that's Yeah, you can contact us through there. I like that you can uh it, you just put it on there and it puts it on like Spotify and iTunes and Google for you. I don't know. It's made it a lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah. We were, how many hours a week were you putting into like making sure everything got published before? Do you, do you remember? Um, I mean, not a lot of time, but enough time that it's, you know, it's nice having anchor because it's just easier. Okay. See, and this is a switch that I was told about last time, but I, I didn't know that uh, we could communicate with an actual fan base through it. I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, and there's advertisements. Yeah. Don't forget about that. You don't even have to have any listeners. So. Yeah. Um, Three, two, one, live. All right, guys. Welcome back. What episode is this? Five? No, I think five was last week. Was yeah. Six? I think this is six. Welcome to Cheap Shot Discussions, you crazy bitches. Yeah. Um, so we tried to make a list, and then I lost track of the list. So that shows you how organized we are. That's okay. I know you want to talk about San Francisco and the the ban of facial recognition, which is interesting. There's a couple other places I looked into. I think it said in the article a couple other cities have banned it as well. Oakland. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know where else. Yeah. Um for one I I agree with it. Like I, I don't know. Uh you were kind of talking to me about it the other day but how Hollywood will put something in front of people and like kind of be like this is happening right under your nose and you have no idea. Yeah, it's like a blatant fuck you. Yeah. Um so there's a a movie out there called Anon. I don't know if anyone's heard of it or seen it. But it's My dog's shitting in the by his cage. It's fine. Uh, Anon? Yeah, it's called Anon. Okay. A-N-O-N. Uh, and it, it, it's about, uh, like, people are interconnected, and they have the, – their brains are like computers, and they have the ability to access the memories of other people. So it's like one big collective consciousness that they can always access. Yeah, and like so that the it's about cops that are trying to find a person that's committing crimes that's somehow separated themselves from the system, and they're trying to use like facial recognition technology to uh, yeah track them down. You know, so it's incredible. Like that that technology is real too, and people like to look at it as science fiction or like there's not smart people out there capable of doing this kind of stuff. But having studied 
audio frequency and how they're able to pinpoint somebody. Like if, if for example, if someone's in a, a football stadium and you're looking for somebody, I'm trying to track some guy down. He doesn't have a phone on him, anything. Right. What they can do is if they have a general idea of the area you're in, they can turn on every single microphone of every single phone at once. Like the Batman thing. Yeah, and it basically, so GPS, accelerometer, altimeter, all of these different gyroscopes in your phone, or different uh, sensors in your phone, are just another piece of the puzzle to be able to locate you if they need to. Hmm. And they can turn on all these microphones at once, and they can analyze, like, let's say they listen to this podcast. I'm I'm wanted for whatever reason. <laughs> they Probably. Can, they can turn on every single microphone in the stadium, and then they can analyze the frequency coming in saying, okay, does this match the wavelength of Caden? Yes, it does. Okay. And they can triangulate into a small group of people. And then what they'll do from there is they will turn on five or six phones near you. And they'll have each of these phones analyze different parts of your voice, lower ends, middle highs. Hmm. Um, and they'll, they'll do that. And then once they've triangulated you with these five different five or six different phones, they can turn on the rest of the phone microphones to mute out the background noise so they can have a crystal clear audio feed of you. And they can track you down like to right where you're sitting that way. And if you yeah, and if you look at five G where five G is going, because they're they're mil they're millimeter waves and the military's been using these for decades. Yeah, since the early nineties. Um to like five G's been out since the early nineties. Right. Is to disrupt like crowds, like protests. They can emit high at least in China, they can emit millimeter waves to uh make people feel sick and disperse. Um, and you know, the, the same thing could be implemented here. Now on our scale of 5g, these little phones, right? One phone is not going to be detriment. It's not going to be weaponized, but if they can, if they can access all, like phones, like little nodes and direct the 5g, it can be weaponized. 100%. Just like Kingsman. hundred. Yeah. I haven't seen Kingsman, but yeah, they do that in Kingsman. Do they? Yeah. It's priming, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's getting us ready. Like to you said, Hollywood sticks it in front of you and is like this is what we're doing to you so you know you guys see it as entertainment but this is what's happening to you right now well and it's interesting like the whole idea of the un in the beginning because it all comes back to the un uh, I, I, how so why do we need a governing body of uh of people that dictate how countries should behave in the grand scheme of things well if you believe the movie Idiocracy, it was because they had to come un-Nazi the world. They had to un-Nazi yeah, the world? Yeah. The, the, the organization UN came and un-Nazied the world. <laughs> so, uh, no. Um, I think the original catalyst, obviously, for the UN was clearly World War II. But uh, after that, it was seen they were hoping it would turn into a, a thing to keep world war three okay. from happening that, that that's the original idea. Okay. Um, it, it's kind of changed to a degree, uh, since then we're good. Uh, so it, it has changed since then. Um, and you can see like, if you go back to like the Nuremberg, trials the videos of that and stuff that was all the un holding those okay trials for crimes against humanity against the nazi elites okay uh and you go to uh you know 
mid '90s Mogadishu, okay, Black Hawk Down, uh, the Kosovo War in the '90s, uh, Bosnian Kosovo conflict. That was all like UN, uh, the UN kind of doing its job, but not being able to fully pull off what it was there to do. Okay. Um. Uh, before that, even uh, you go to like the siege of Jadetville, uh, which is a small conflict that took place between an Irish company in the middle of Africa and a bunch of French mercenaries that were hired to fight like guerrillas against the UN. Um, it was a very political move, and it like it, it was a disaster. Uh, so the the UN was made to try to keep war from taking place, and it's never really been successful. Okay. Um, the uh, yeah the the whole idea of the UN, and I would understand the UN if there was a checks and balances, like if there were two or three different divisions of the UN that were held in. They they had to keep each other accountable, but I guess the idea of centralized power is inherently can be used for very bad things without people realizing it. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 And I think, and it's inherently within our human uh, genes. Like I can sit here and say, I like, if I had power, I wouldn't act a certain way, but until you have power, you don't really comprehend what it can do to you. I'd probably be a dick. I think I would too. Yeah. I think I would too. I, I would hope I wouldn't be, but you know, power changes, money changes. Like, yeah, the the one thing that I've noticed uh, throughout my life is, uh, you, like you said, money changes you. The poorer I've been, like uh, the less wealth I've had in my life, I look back and it's like the more willing I was to give it up to help other people out. Okay, and as soon as I get like you know, 10, 20 grand in my bank account or, you know, like just get a little bit of savings stacked up, the less I'm willing to spend that, especially in the aid of other yeah. people. And that's a huge character character flaw. Huge. Um, it is a big, big problem. And I think that is how most of the wealthy people in the world operate. You have a select few that are very generous, but... yes. Not very many. I think a, a huge point in you ask any billionaire, any multimillionaire, because I mean, let's think of a million dollars. A million dollars is jack shit. Yeah, it is jack. Absolutely, shit. you can live off of a million dollars for maybe ten years, and then you're fucked. So, for if all you're these, careful, if you're careful, and uh, the the absolute wealthy give more than you can comprehend. They give more than your yearly salary. They give more, like, because they view giving as just that increases their reputation. Right. And But they don't consciously think that. They actually do want to give, but it does increase their perception. And that's what brings real wealth. Right. Um, and, and real wealth or being rich, they say, uh, like, being rich, I think, is so much different than people think because you see all these people win the lottery and, and they have poor souls. Like, they, they know how to live like a poor person, so they make those decisions. Right. Well, and then you have another – you have the complete opposite effect also with people that win the lottery. Most of them wind up bankrupt in about three to five years. Right. Yeah. So yeah, – Because they have no poor. idea. They're like, 
I have money. I can buy a nice house now. I yeah. can buy a nice car now. I can, I can go on vacation when I want to. And it's like it doesn't work that way. The funny thing is, like all the rich people, all the I guess I consider them mentors or whatever. What I read, what I watch, and the super wealthy have such a different perception on everything. The only reason they believe they can afford the things that they have is because they believe that they can afford them. So they believe Weird. that if you say, I can't afford this, then you can't afford you it. You can't afford it because you just told yourself that. You programmed your supercomputer to think that. And, well, uh, okay, I, like, this is like some secret bullshit. Like, like, this is like the secret, but like, if you believe it, it'll happen. I'm sorry. I can say <laughs> I want a Bugatti Veyron as much as I want. And like, I, oh, I, I can. Uh, afford a Bugatti Veyron. No, I can't afford a Bugatti Veyron. I don't have 1.3 right. million dollars. Let me let me rephrase that. <laughs> this guy so this guy is worth about 50 billion dollars who I listen. To. I can't Well, remember. then fuck him. So this is his ideology is that if you want to become successful, dress yourself up in a suit and practice successful habits in the sense of like how often are you going to an actual car dealership, that Bugatti dealership? Putting on that suit and going there and actually looking at it. It's it's surround his ideas. If you surround yourself by those wealthy people and you start creating habits that successful people create, you'll inherently. Be, he's like, well, that's just a lifestyle change. That's not exactly, like the that's, power yeah, that's, of magical thinking. It's not right? magical at yeah. all. You have to put in the work. Fuck. If you believe that you can just think something and it'll happen, go fuck yourself. You have mm -hmm. to take action. I 100% believe that. Yeah. No, like – and I, I would agree with that. Like if you're willing to put your like shoulder to the to the millstone and grind, then – Right. Like would you ever have believed that you could afford a house in like Cottonwood Heights? No. But you're there. Yeah. And uh, – but I've also been grinding. You've for, been grinding. You've been working your ass off. Yeah, for well over a decade now. But this guy, he was like, when I changed my life, I went and bought a three-piece suit. I went down to a Rolls-Royce dealership in person. I kept saying I wanted one. I wanted one. But until I dressed up and went there, within one year, I owned a Rolls-Royce. Hmm. He's like, because I started doing it. He's like, I, I will go to free consultations for lawyers. The best lawyer. You get the fucking best one. You get him, he'll give you a free consultation, but you're getting used to being around the best always. He's like, you want to go to an accountant? Find the best accountant in your city. He'll give you a free consultation. Pitch him your business idea. Get used to being around successful people and you'll become successful. Right. Um, and I think that we're brainwashed as a society to believe that like work well, hard and you'll, you'll get a million dollars one day and be happy, but. Well, I mean, like, hard, it, it is working hard. It's just a different type of hard work. Yeah. It's... Sacrifice. Well, I mean, I know plenty of people that sacrifice, and they're just in a, a shitty situation, and, you know, like... But it is. It, it, it's a different type of hard work that you're talking about. Like, you're not going to become rich being a farmer. No. You're, you like, could be wealthy. You definitely probably make top one percent, maybe over three hundred grand a year. But like, you're, yeah, you're, you're not gonna be. You're not gonna be the, the, rich. the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're and and you're you're. Uh, if you're a tradesman, you can make a good living as a tradesman. Yeah. But you're you're not gonna be rich. What is rich to you? At what point are you like, 
I don't give a fuck about money. What level do you have to hit before you're like, I don't have to think about it anymore? Honestly, I don't know because I haven't really thought in that kind of term before. Yeah. I haven't ever thought like, well, if I get five hundred million, then I'm set, or if I get one billion, I'm set, or one yeah. million, I'm set. I think uh, being a uh, like having that mindset of fuck it all to money is completely rev- uh, relative. Right. Yeah. Like you look at Warren Buffett, immensely rich guy. Yeah. Like super wealthy. Right. But he doesn't think like a wealthy person. Right. Like he doesn't like he doesn't think like the stereotypical wealthy person. Right. He lives within his like he doesn't. He even lives live... well below his means. Yes. Yeah. Way below. Yeah. Same and... with Grant Cardone. That's a it's a big real estate guy. Grant Cardone. He uh. He lives well below his means, too, and he makes millions and millions of dollars. And I watched an interview of him where he talked to a kid, and the kid's like, I want to gain wealth. I want to do all this shit. And he looked him dead in the eye, and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I make sacrifices in my life so that I can afford to do – I can afford the life that I'm living. Even if you have a million dollars, you can't live the life he's living. And he basically said, like – I'm going to spend $40,000 tonight to fly back on my private jet right. so that I can be with my kids in the morning and I can send them to school and I can send them to all. He's like, money to me isn't is a means to get other shit done. Yeah. It's not monetary. It's I don't want to have that limitation and I can live the life I want to live and show people the life I want to live by just grinding, working hard. Right. And, and and that's what I what I was trying to get at. Like my my idea of wealth is it's different on every level. Like you go back to fifteen year old me, I would have considered the me now to be a wealthy person. Right. I am not a wealthy person, you know. But yeah, like th- yeah. Like the kid working <laughs> the kid working uh minimum wage jobs you know for like four bucks an hour at the grocery store after school you you turn that around and you're like making 14 dollars an hour at your your job now and you're not even fully college educated yet or whatever the yeah. case may be yeah. you're like oh yeah like i would have killed i would have killed to be like that at 16 15 right. 16 years old but you know like and as you get older, like your obligations change. Yeah. And as you get older and like, oh, I don't even remember where I was going with that. But. Um, well, I, I can kind of finish that off for you. I think it's like you get older, your obligations and your idea of what wealth is changes. Yeah. It becomes like, more about time, I think. Yeah. Cause like, you know, you're 15, you're 16 years old. All you want to go do is hang out with your friends on the weekend and not have to work or whatever. Get some and alcohol. Get yeah, some, yeah, exactly. And not think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me now, if I were truly wealthy and didn't have to put in a ton of effort into, like, just paying my bills every month, I would... I would paint and climb yeah. all the time. And that's what I would do. And like, I think that like eventually that'll probably of spirit. That'll probably manifest itself in being some sort of monetary way of you making money later down the road cuz you're like 
you're it's not a hundred percent your main focus, but you're slowly working at it over time. Right. And I a hundred percent believe that persistency is uh is the key to success. Yeah, dogged nature. Yeah, just like sticking with it. Just sticking with it, and I think uh, I I agree to an extent. I also believe that, and maybe the military's taught you this as well, but we set our own limitations as individuals. We kind of put, I can see that we, we kind of have this idea of what we're capable of. And we say it's impossible to go past that. It's impossible to get past that, but it's only because we set that limitation in the first place. And then you go into the military or whatever. You talk to a lot of these, uh, special operations guys and they're like, I got pushed past anything I was ever comprehending yeah and everyone's capable of doing that it's just the discipline and and the work and the willingness and the willingness yeah and the will yeah yeah like if you if you don't have like you know to put it in special forces terms i'm not a special forces person but if if you don't have the willingness to literally freeze your balls off in the middle of a foreign country to accomplish some objective for the sake of only you and the person that assigned you to that job know. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do it. Right. You have to have the will to do it. Yeah. 100%. And it, and it's like that with your your life, you know? Like if you, if you do want to Uzi. Uh, no. If you do want to uh drive that really nice car or live in that mansion on the hill, you have to be willing to make the sacrifices and do what it takes to get to that point. And the belief you can get there in the first place. Otherwise, you're fucked. Yeah. If you go, if you set out for something that you don't believe you can accomplish in the first place, it always ends in failure, I think. None of that, like, aim for the moon because if you miss, you land among the, the stars bullshit. I guess just my idea is, like, you have 100 years. Not even 100 years nowadays. Like, probably between 60 to 80, so... Take some risk. A- average lifespan's around 80 years old for a male. So 80, okay. So yeah, take some risk. What do you have to lose? I uh, I, I do want to get your opinion, though, switching topics a little bit, about this whole uh, the uh, district attorney calling for another investigation. Do you hear about this? Uh, so um, Barr? Oh, the attorney general? Yeah, yeah that's what I meant. Sorry. A- AG Barr? Yep. Calling for an investigation into what? So now it's going to be the origin of the Russian probe, and now they're turning to James Comey and the ex-CIA director, and now they're starting to, like... So they're trying to, like, be like, who wanted this probe in the first place? Is that kind of... They're getting down to who started it, and it's coming back to Hillary Clinton, sadly. I mean, it's it's slowly coming back. Oh, that's back. politics. It's politics, for sure. But now it's funny, because now I see the FBI, ex-FBI director, ex-CIA director pointing fingers at each other, saying... Oh, no, it wasn't me. It was actually him. Like, they're starting to fucking turn on each other. And uh, I'm just so sick of... That's why we need anarchy, folks. I don't think we need anarchy, but the transparency is is welcomed. And I think that it just goes to show over time. Like, I, I was always drilled this... In, as a kid, I was drilled in and lost law classes especially the system the united states system works fucking well it works well but it's slow very very slow uh, you have to keep inhaling on that it'll eventually like you'll <laughs> you'll feel it heat up 
But um, yeah, I think uh, I think everybody's kind of happy this politically at least. No matter what you believe, I think everyone's a little bit happy that it's simmering down. It's not as like we're actually able to have some sort of discussion now, and because uh, the past two two years politically have been pretty rough for this country and and divisive, like past anything we've ever seen before. And that does stem into how we treat people on a social level, I feel like. Yeah. So if we can get past this presidency and however you take this presidency, if we can move forward learning from this, we can eventually start uniting again. And I think that'll make a huge difference for us. And I think that's an interesting thing with China is that even though there's this very oppressive state, they're propagandized to believe that they're very unified. So they are. Right. They're super unified. And one thing I found out about China, I guess they burned all their old literature. I guess it's just gone now. Like they wanted to destroy their old culture, so they burnt all the literature from the past. Like ancient China? Yeah. So this new president, this new president who's been in for five or six years, Xi Jinping, wants to drastically change what China ever was. So I think we're entering like a really interesting time in geopolitical. Um, well, how far up is he going with that? Is he going to like, uh, like the new Mao China, Zedong or the new China is the only China. The China he has been for five or six years. Oh, like, so he's even getting rid of the communist leaders before him. That's what I understand. And I'm not 100% sure, but it has to do with the surveillance state. I had, um, and even, I don't know if you listened to any of that uh, New York Times uh, Chinese surveillance state, but it all has to do with the control of what people think, why they think it, and... uh, you know, holding power for as long as possible. Well, yeah, I mean, like, that's the whole point behind these totalitarian governments is to hold power as long as possible, right? Do you think they view that it that way? Like, their perception is, like, negative? Or do you think their perception is that they're actually doing humanity good? Uh, the people in power in yeah. those countries? I don't know. Because their paradigm's got to be shifted if you're surrounded by all those fucks all the time you have to believe that whatever you're fighting for is true just like you surround yourself with yeah or else you wind up in a Macbeth situation yeah 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 like where the people following you don't even believe in you enough to put forth the effort to defend you right it's weird Chinese even though they're so restricted and they have all of this totalitarianism they they respect the government which is weird well, and I'm sure of, there's resistance, and maybe that's propaganda from the Chinese government that they accept it. But well, it's weird. You're kind of forced to accept it, though. At the same time, like Cause you can't really do anything. Like if if you don't accept it, where like you go to a re-education camp, right? Yeah. Like, um, if you go back and look at video footage of uh, uh, Kim Jong Il's uh, yeah. funeral, yeah. Thousands of people in the streets, caskets rolling by, everyone's crying and sobbing. And it's like, you guys just got rid of a horrible man. Why are you crying and sobbing? And it's like, well, because his son will fucking kill me if he doesn't see me crying and sobbing on right. on state film, 
right? So I'm going to show you I I think I honestly believe that we are going to enter this Chinese surveillance state and we're actually almost there. So this is Snapchat. Okay. I, I want you to look at it. It has an eye tracking thing. So look directly. Oh wow. You see how it paints the eyes? Yeah, I look like a fucking vampire. Or and something. even if you move your eyes yeah. left and right, it tracks it drastically. Weird. So I think that it like retinal scanning almost. Yes. That is fucking weird, man. So I don't like that at all. And this has been developed over time. It started out with like cute little filters, like put dog ears on you, but it learns faces over time very right. slowly. So we're entering the same stage. It's just painted a different way. And the New York Times even said when we met in Beijing in 2002 for the Olympics or whatever yeah. it was, it was a coalition between all the world leaders to say, look what we have developed. You should implement this. And the United States being a free sovereign state or whatever. Allowed it to happen commercially. Yes. Yes. Okay. So basically all of these tech companies are developing it for the government. Um, and it's all slowly and everyone's being, just a willing participant. It's all slowly merging to create the illusion of a free state, but we're slowly moving into this. Uh, well, I mean, even with my laptop, like when I went to set up my laptop, it wanted to do a, a facial recognition scan to sign me in, and then I set up a password. Yeah. And now, like, since I'm sitting in front of my laptop when I turn it on. It scans my face, and I don't get a chance to type in my password. Right, just boom. Yeah. Quick, and it's painted as convenient to the public. Like, and and oh. now I can't even remember my password. Yeah, that's where it comes down to. Mm. Is like when we use Maps, Google Maps, when we use password remembering, it it turns off part of the brain. You're like, I don't need to do this anymore. Right. And then you become dependent on the technology. Well, what happens when the technology is taken away? Do we become anarchists? Skynet. Who knows? <laughs> it's weird. It's it's we're living through it. It's strange. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe we're too far out from like a, a Fahrenheit four fifty one type situation. Yeah, Fahrenheit four fifty one or nineteen eighty four. But the funny thing anything is, anything like we'll that. beg for it. We'll beg for our freedom to be taken away because that's how they paint it. Yeah. They paint it like, this is why you need this. And then we are like, yes, absolutely. Shut up and take my money. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. it's, uh, it's ingenious. Uh, but at the same time, this country is getting fucked over and most people don't realize it. Well, at least I don't need sex anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just mostly intellectual property is what we have to worry about now. It's data. And that's a weird thing. I think, uh, one, we're in kind of a cold civil war type thing where we're hostile towards each other. But at the same time, all this data is being extracted from us and we're not paying attention to it at all. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of float down the river and yeah. take the rapids as they come. So uh, kind of a hard shift of gears here. Uh, completely changing topics. I I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, familial obligations today. Like uh, your dad just recently had surgery and having to take care of him versus, uh, you know, your own personal life and having to figure out how you handle that. Um, 
for me, I recently went through something somewhat similar, like over the past year and a half or so of my life, uh, my, my stepfather had a, a really um, crazy heart surgery thing done, open heart surgery, uh, took months and months to recover from. My mom and him leaned heavily on the kids for support through that. Uh, that man, John Algren, God bless him, he's a pretty stubborn individual. The doctor tells him, like, don't lift anything greater than 10 pounds for the next eight weeks. He's out retiling in his house, like, a week after he gets discharged from the hospital. But, well, like, just having to... Um, try to put myself through school, work a full-time job, and then be there to keep my stepdad in check so he doesn't tear his sutures open and rip his freaking sternum in half because he's putting stress on the staples is one more thing that I had to worry about. Very, very hard to do. And then on top of that, I... Uh, Fast forward about a year, everything's kind of getting back to normal. And then, you know, for whatever reason, I can't really speak to it. I don't know the ins and outs of their relationship, but my mom and my stepdad, a man who I cared about dearly and I still do, um, decide to get a divorce and puts my mom through the ringer. She's a very anxious person and she starts to... I'm the only kid of hers that lives in this state within a hundred So you're relied upon. Yeah. Heavily. Yeah, heavily. And, Absolutely. And um, I actually had to wind up taking an incomplete, incomplete that semester and redoing the whole semester over again. Right. Uh, the following semester because she wanted too much of my time. And it's like, well, it's my family. Like, I've already made sacrifices to get to where I am, and now you're asking me to slow down my life even a little bit further. Right. And that's – it's a it's a weird position to be put in because at the same time, like, it's, it's family, like – but at the same time, you also have your own life to live. So it's, it's finding that balance. And unfortunately, the person that is depending on you believes that you're just sitting around with your dick in your hand all day. Which I would love to do. I would love way. it. Yeah. It would be great. But unfortunately, we live stressful lives where we have our own environments and interactions, and they don't see that, so they heavily rely on you to right. do things because they believe their life's so stressful that they need to offload it onto somebody else. Right. And At so, least that's how I view it. Yeah, and so things finally started leveling out for me about three months ago. Um, after I had a mental breakdown because of the stress of work, school, and um, all of it, yeah, yeah, my 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 marriage, my family, like my nuclear family that I grew up with, all all of that, like, you know, I I wound up having a somewhat of a breakdown, and people were like, "Oh shit, we need to lay off of Dallas for a minute," and uh, from what I understand, you're kind of in a similar situation now, and I just want to make sure you're doing okay with that. Yeah, I'm doing okay with it, um, and I don't mind helping my dad out. The problem I have is when my mom uses like manipulative tactics to achieve her agenda. So be like, oh, I understand. You don't care about your father. That's okay. I think that's bred into every mom when they become a mom. I think so, too. Like... 
because I feel like my mom uh, during that time frame was really manipulative of me to suck up my time. So what I ended up doing was I just kind of cut her out and I dealt directly with my dad. So I asked him directly, what do you need from me? Okay. I'll take you where you need to go, but have this communication for me. Right. Because I felt like when it was prop, it was propagandized. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. She like kind of he's has completely helpless. Right. But then I see the reality, and it's like he can go out and do things. He can get an Uber. He could walk down the street, go to an amphitheater, watch a play. Right. Right. Um. But she inherently believes that he's a victim. And that's true, as long as he paints his hoe. As a victim. Right. And the second he decides that I'm not going to sit in my room and watch TV all day. I'm going to go out and do shit. That's where it changes. I, I, it's, I'm not going to be put in this corner where they say you have to do this because he's X, Y, Z. He's, he's depressed. He can't do anything. Well, I understand that and I'm willing to help. And it, whatever I can do to help, I will. But at the same time. Don't paint him as a victim if he's not even painting himself in that way in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. So, and then it turns into her crying about it and like you don't care about your family or whatever. So they it, – it's definitely a mental strain, but it's nothing I can't handle. And I've just kind of put it to the side of like I have the communication with my dad to know how he's actually doing. So whatever I hear from her is just propaganda. Okay. So I've just kind of blocked it out, and that's that's just kind of where we're at. And I have to do it for my own mental health. It's just something you have to do, and a lot of the times you have to make those hard-ass decisions, and they may seem like they may seem like harsh, or a lot of people may look at that like, oh, it's your mother or whatever. But at the same time, you have to deal with your own shit, right? First and foremost. So I I have a I don't know I. I have a stance um, that people may may or may not agree with, but not that I don't enjoy my life, but I didn't ask to be here. Yeah. You know? And uh, I want, like, I'm happy to be here, but I didn't ask for it. Right. You know, like, my parents made the decision to bring me into this world and this world is just full of shitty things well not just that but in order for you to su- survive even in modern day society it's not like it used to be right like no. we're not cavemen anymore we don't have to worry about megafauna coming in and eating us in the middle of the night yeah but we we pay for our security in other ways money yeah primarily and and so now I, I need to worry about keeping my household and my fam- my family safe by having that stress on me to be a, um, a, a partial provider with my wife in this in this situation and um, it, it's kind of funny I feel like. Uh, my mom, not my dad so much, but my mom got like, she just expected me to be an adult with zero obligations. Yeah, you yeah. have to be there, uh, yeah. otherwise you're a piece of shit and you don't care. Yeah, yep. yeah, and and so I'm just like, well, you know, I 
I don't get this. You know, like, I didn't ask to be here. You want me to be there for you at the drop of a hat? Pay my mortgage for me. Yeah. Yes. Like, you, like if you really want me to be there, like, at your beck and call, pay my mortgage for me. Pay my car payment. Pay right. my insurance. Right. You know? And if and there's a difference between the amount of neediness they have versus what they actually need. For example, like if my oh, mom man. if my mom were to call me and be like, Hey, this is an emergency, this is happening, I'm there in two seconds, man. Right. But when it's something such bullshit and like or I feel like I'm being manipulated or I'm just sitting here like, why the fuck am I wasting my time talking to you? It's my mother. Like, I shouldn't feel that way. But at the same time, it's hard not to. It's hard not to look at it that way. Right. And I I don't know if everyone can identify with that. I know my wife doesn't. I like she doesn't identify the, like that with her parents at all. Right. But um, I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because uh, maybe it's the inner Mountain West parents that are like this because my Wife's parents are from the Midwest, and I'll tell you what they're it is. extremely independent people. I think my mom's fucking crazy, and that's just how it is. Yeah, <laughs> and I was dealt that hand. <laughs> uh, uh, I agree. Like or, I agree with, or mine. more so, like it's. Uh, I feel like my mom has just cracked under stress because she doesn't know how to handle it properly, and that's the big problem. Well, I mean, you can always take up drinking. You could take up drinking, yeah. I mean, it's not the best thing in the world, but... But it, it, it's funny, like, she'll <laughs> she'll call me up, like, I am I used to be Mormon, and she'll tell me how I need to come back to the Mormon church or whatever, but then she has all these doubts in her own personal belief, like, oh, I'm so worried about this, and I'm like, well, if your religion's so important to you, you should have the faith that everything's going to be fine in the first place. So... Not only is she doing all this shit, she's propagating religious shit onto me that she's not even living in the first place. And then she is also um, telling me that I need to reach out to my sister and I need to tell her this and that. And I'm sitting here like, my sister blocked you on Facebook. Why would I take your advice as to how to have a relationship with my own sister? Really? Yeah. I have a pretty good relationship with my sister. I love my sister. But my mom calls me and is like, Hey, could you text her this and that? And like, like being an intimate intermediary for yes. you, like, and it's funny because like I, middleman. I straight up told her, I'm like, why would I take your advice when she blocked you on Facebook? By me doing this kind of stuff, it's going to separate myself because I'm liaisoning your personality through me. Right. So I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. You keep doing what you're doing. I'll stay unblocked. You're gonna be blocked. <laughs> And that sounds like a dick move, but uh, in a way, it's kind of like strong, uh, strong-armed love. Like it, it kind of is. I don't know. Yeah, um, that's that's how I am with uh, my my mom. Uh, sh- she just like wants me to be the go-between for her, and I can't do it. Right. And speaking of which, um, so. Since this divorce debacle happened, um, I don't feel like, and this is going to sound really super emotional, especially coming from a guy like me, Bucket. but uh, how I felt about the situation and, and whatnot, 
was not taken into consideration. Right. At all. Because that doesn't matter. Right. Um, and my mom, uh, she started, like, she does this thing whenever she gets really anxious. She, like, reaches out to anyone and everyone that will listen okay. that she she knows, period, end of story. And, you know, I can see that. Uh, I was the same way when uh, my ex-fiance left me a number of years ago. It fucking tore me up, and I was just, like, I was just trying to stay busy, like, calling people up, like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Keep your mind off it. Yeah. Um, but th- this, this goes to a whole new level cause <laughs> she, she reached out to some people, um, in this time of like extreme grief and made contact with people that she maybe didn't want to necessarily reopen up doors with. And, and now, uh, she's just like, sh- to use a millennial term, straight up ghosting. Like, these people that, like, she opened this door with, and now she doesn't want to talk to anymore because the crisis is over. So it's like a manic state? Yeah. And and now she's just ghosting them because she's, like, done with them. And these people are getting a hold of me trying to get a hold of her. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on See, here? that's a weird thing is because that's how most people this generation act as well. The yeah. ghosting thing. Yeah, and I, I absolutely disagree with it. Me too. I, I mean, like having those conversations where you sever friendships or relationships, they're hard to have. And as much as uh, my ex hurt me back in the day, I am grateful that she was up front like that Mm -hmm. because it's so much better in the long run. Yeah. Like then to get cheated on or whatever. Yeah. And you know, I, uh, I wound up calling her a couple of years later because I was thinking about it, and she still had the same number. I didn't know that. I just kind of like rolled the dice and called the number that I that I had saved for. Her. And she still that was it. Um, well, what I wanted because it was like a really like it wasn't an amicable thing. It was very, it was very abrupt in my opinion, yeah. and I like I was just kind of left like stunned and confused. And so, like, after I was able to, like, collect myself a little bit, I called her and was, like, so just genuinely curious, like, why did why did you want to break up with me? I want to know what it was. Yeah, just out of curiosity. Like, yeah. yeah. And I didn't really get a straight answer there. But that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's, like, she had her reasons for leaving, I, and that that's fine. But, you know, I, the fact that I was able to to get a hold of this person again later on in life, yeah. and it wasn't a weird, super weird conversation, right, was because of the fact that that um, initial, like, we're done. Right. And it wasn't just a complete severance of communication. Yeah. You know, um and so I, I really appreciate that even to this day. Like, you know, I, I, I don't like her. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's kind of hard for me and my nature to, 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 like, even really give a shit. Right. I don't know what she's up to today. I have no idea where she lives or anything like that. But, um, like, if I were to run across her, I couldn't care less about what's going on in her life right now. Yeah. Which is 
probably healthy. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that she was able to be upfront and honest with me. Yeah, that's huge. I think that's a, a big respectable thing. I feel like everyone that I've dated, I can still have a conversation with, or I feel yes. like we've left off on good, a good note where I feel like as a friend or like we've shared that mutual connection that I can reach out and always, cause I, I've never had like the ex that I'm like, fuck that person, fuck them. I fucking hate them because I've learned something from all of them. Right. So, yeah. And you know, my, my very first ex that I had, uh, I mean, this is like high school puppy love bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I never had one of those. Really? I didn't date until after fucking high school. Well, um, you know, th- this was like my first serious girlfriend. We we dated for quite a while. Um, started in like senior year and went till slightly after. Okay. Um, like she was a junior, I was a senior, and she was graduating one night when we broke up. Okay. So it went on for a little while, um, but I I'm still able to talk to her, right? Like to this day, I can like yeah, we can sit down and have a conversation. There's She's, that there's that previous connection where it's like it's still established, like it may not be intimate, but you're still connected, like. Right, yeah. On a and, mental level. Yeah, and I, like, you know, she's married, I'm married, she has a kid, I don't have kids, but, like, I could sit down and talk with her comfortably Yeah. for hours. Right. And it'd be fine. Uh, at least I hope it would, I, I hope it would be, like, uh, in the eyes of her husband, anyway. Like, right. I know she doesn't have any issue communicating right. with me but, but any insecure anything that he views that if he views that as bad it's his own insecurity especially considering this was like almost 15 years ago right <laughs> like i don't know it's very it's very strange you have to be a good communicator i feel like with everything yeah and the second you start letting like your emotion get involved on a stupid level that's when you start to lose the communication right right and the communication is so important like I don't know. We it, it's a it's an interesting thing for sure. Yeah, and uh anyway, back back to my my mom, she like or just like vague communication in general, I guess. The best explanation of that is my mom. Uh I randomly get these texts, call me. Yeah. Zero explanation. Yep. Um to me, that's like the boy that caught, cried wolf at this point. Right. You know, um, when that first, like when she first started doing that. It's clickbait. Yeah, it is. It really is. Because uh, my, like when she first started doing that was when my um, stepdad, a, a man who I considered to be my, like my other father, right. uh, started having health issues. Um, and like they were seriously looking at hospitalizing him and like doing these reparative surgeries on his heart. And I was like, so call me was like shorthand for like, there's something wrong. Get a hold of me. Right. Absolutely. It's 911. Yeah. Call me. Like it's quick. Yeah. And, and so I would, I would literally stop what I was doing Yeah. and give her a call and find out what's going on. And it was usually something to do with that. Yeah. And, and now, um, you know, 18, months to 20 months later 
it's literally just uh, like, call me, zero explanation. You call, and it's like, I wanted to tell you about this thing that your cousin did today. Yeah. I don't care. I don't give a shit what my cousin did today. They're a fucking adult. Right. (laughs) Is it transparent? It's like, I don't know how we've perpetuated to this point where we feel like we have to, like, make everybody interested. Like, you have to get that clickbait type thing in order to pay attention. And everyone does it. It's just kind of part of it i think this coil is burnt as shit to that, be honest with you. that's fine i i'm beyond the point of give a fuckness danielle if you're listening to this replace your fucking coils this is fucking ridiculous yeah th- we're two two desperate men trying to get off nicotine that are like bumming off you right now this is and like having a a train engineer that just put his dick in the coal and <laughs> he's just going ham on my mouth that's what it tastes like right now not that well, I know what that tastes like. But. Uh, well, I you had a pretty descriptive explanation of that. It sounds like you do know what that tastes like. Uh, I'm not going to confirm or deny. <laughs> Thank you, but, Jerry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, like, so today we're not drinking beer. Uh, I've got to get my fat ass in shape, so we've switched to hard liquor. Yeah. Um, so that's why you didn't hear the can opening today. But how long have you gone without beer now? Like, are, are you just kind of more <laughs> monitoring it? And, uh, and even if it's today, fuck it. Like, I'm just saying, are you just being more conscious? Like, I'm about down? I'm about four days out from my last six pack. That's not bad. Um, that's definitely not bad. Um, that uh, that first six pack, my wife went out of town with her parents, and I was like, I'm by myself at home. And bored, and all I have to do is walk my dogs and watch Hulu. And so I was like, I'm going to walk my dogs to the grocery store yeah. and buy beer and be shmammered by the time I get back home. And that's exactly that's what exactly I did. exactly what you fucking did. <laughs> so. Yeah, it got me thinking a lot. Like, the girl Audrey I was telling you about who went to jail, like, went through rehab. I won't give her last name, but... um it's just it's one of those things that made me kind of reflect like this person I look to who loved alcohol, loved drugs is now straight, 100% sober. 100% sober. So it makes me look at alcohol like, man, I could 100% do it without alcohol, but I think there's a balance and I've really liked Absolutely. I there I is. really like wine lately. I think wine has has been awesome. It's been a nice little break. Uh, but it has changed my perception as to thinking, like, I really don't need substance to be happy. And, in fact, like, I haven't smoked weed in two days, and I feel more attentive. I feel more alert. That makes sense because uh, weed is a central nervous system depressant. Right. And, and and I think there's place for that because I feel like me spending three years in THC land where I was pretty much there all the time <laughs> – um, it, it really helps you kind of slow down your thoughts and consolidate that and file it and kind of put it in, in an order that makes sense to you. And then when you come unless out you're of schizophrenic, unless you're schizophrenic, yeah. but when you come out of it, you're like, holy shit, I feel like I spent a lot of time organizing my thoughts and now I feel productive. So I'm not going to say I'm never going to do it again, but I think it's a tool just like a medicine is. A, it, yeah, it, it's a medicine. You yeah. should use it as a tool. This idea of wake and bake, smoking in the morning, smoking at lunchtime, smoking at nighttime, that creates a 
baseline perception, that becomes your reality. So now that I'm coming out of that, it's almost like getting high again for the first time when you become sober. It's because okay. you've been out of it for so long. Um, so it's it's refreshing. Like The weirdest thing coming off of it is you get heat strokes. Weird. So you'll just feel hot all of the time. Yeah. And your dreams will become really vivid because with weed – You don't or, have the CNS depressant going on yeah. anymore. W- yeah. With weed or alcohol, at the stem of the brain, it creates a blockage, I guess, for REM sleep. You can achieve Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's why people have an easier time going to sleep, but they can't stay asleep. Yes. Yeah. And, and with weed especially, when you stop smoking and that blockage goes away, your brain actually apparently tallies up the REM sleep you've missed and will try to catch up on that. So you'll get really vivid dreams, and I'm sure I'll have them tonight because it's been about day two. But um, no, that makes sense. I think there's there's place for it, but it's finding the balance for it. Well, yeah, I mean, like that that goes for everything. Yeah, alcohol is the same way. Like I can look at alcohol and say, like, oh my god, this is a shit thing. It makes me make impulsive decisions. But some of the best conversations I've ever had have been just sipping whiskey or and that and that's why uh we decided to start this was uh you know we were getting a little drunk one day and having a pretty decent conversation and we're like you know on a podcast yeah like i would listen to this if it were on a podcast but you know like if you don't like it then that's your own deal um we're not doing this for you so you can go fuck yourself we're having a cheap shot discussion yeah fuckers yeah and that's where cheap shot discussions came from is like you know a a cheap shot of whiskey and just kind of uh trying to solve the world's problems for your from your couch so which is funny because like the second you start podcasting or like you do it consistently it it it's a change. It's like it turns you, into a therapy, sort of. Yeah, you start projecting like what you're thinking, and it, it, it's definitely a strange thing. But it, and it's a way to get um some kind of uh, mundane concerns off off of your chest. You know, like like those little everyday itches and nags. Like today, I spent twelve hours in clinical. Um, I was on a labor and delivery unit we had two babies delivered unexpectedly out of hospital uh one was in like a walmart and the other one was in the car on the way to the hospital um naturally these kids wind up being really hypothermic by the time they get in because they're not like able to be treated right away yeah and like that's a stressful situation, but that's a different kind of stress, right? So your your everyday stress that you have, um, where like, oh God, I, I need to buy groceries today. I'm getting off work at nine PM. I don't feel like it, but I know I need to do it. Like yeah. that's the kind of stress I'm talking about relieving. Like that other stress, those like high intensity stress. Well, the the hope is is that you burn out that adrenaline and that that frustration in the moment by doing the job. Yeah, and then getting the fulfillment of doing that job. Right. So we got a we got this little kiddo today, the, the one that was born in the Walmart. Uh, it took him, it took him like an hour and a half transport time via ambulance to get to us. The kid was uh, n- not quite 
like clinically hypothermic, but he was pretty low on his temperature. He was okay. like ninety two degrees Fahrenheit. Right. You're supposed to be ninety eight point six or mm-hmm. thirty seven um as uh Celsius. Yeah. He was thirty three point one Celsius. Wow. So just really low body temperature and just sitting there working with this little kiddo, um, getting getting the the heaters on him and right. cleaned up and you know like just watching him turn around. That was enough to get rid of that cortisol, right? And uh, our our discussions are more about getting rid of that daily, every like everyday life cortisol. And the reason we start to make less and less sense as time goes on is because we are taking cheap shots as the time goes on such the name so um yeah i just uh you know if you like it you like it if you don't i don't really care yeah let me tell you this i'm gonna switch gears a little bit i'm gonna focus the attention on intermountain Healthcare, and if i can find the president of intermountain Healthcare. I'll drag him into the street and fuck him just out of principle. Just I can like, probably find his name online. Give me a second. Let me tell you something right now. Intermountain Healthcare is a big piece of shit, and I'll go ahead and on the record and say that. Uh, they're taking advantage of my parents. My parents are nice people. My dad's on Medicare, Medicaid, something, you know, one of the two. And they keep cycling him back in. We need to do this. We need to do that. You need to get this medicine. Oh, we forgot to put in the prescription. We need to come back. Oh, we need to do that. We need to... I feel like that company in particular, as compared to my experience of U of U, and I don't know what your experience of U of U is. It's pretty good. Um, I feel like U of U is more about research and development, and Intermountain Healthcare is about ripping your wallet out of your pants and taking as much money as possible. Guy's name that runs Intermountain is Dr. Mark Harrison. Doctor Mark is spelled with M A R C. Mark Harrison. Okay, so you can find it. Dr. Mark Harrison. Let me tell you this right now. He can just sniff the tip of my dick, dude. He's an <laughs> asshole. I bet you he makes multiple million dollars, millions of dollars a year from insurance money. And uh, he doesn't give a shit about the health care of people. He gives a shit about the money he's receiving in his pocket. So having been a former employee of Intermountain, um, now I can't speak to the absolute validity of this, but what they do tell you in uh, new pl- employee orientation is that uh, the CEOs, CFOs, and everything of Intermountain really don't make that much money. Okay. They they make about the same as a regular doctor would. Okay. Because uh Intermountain is supposed to be a not-for-profit organization. Okay. Which means um any amount of money that they make that would be considered profit goes back into research and development within the organization. Okay. Um I have met Mark Harrison. He didn't seem like a terrible guy, but uh I also didn't really get a chance to talk to him in great depth. Uh, it was just kind of in passing, but okay. So we're gonna look at uh, we're gonna look at his salary here. Okay. See. Okay. So the this is on modernhealth.com, and the headline is CEO pay source at top for nonprofits. So 
We're going to look here. Well, there's a difference between nonprofit and not for profit. So, what's his name again? Mark Harrison. M A R C Harrison. So, I mean. So what I can see from the Google searches is this Mark Harrison, and not to defame Mark Harrison, I'm sure you're a great guy. If you're gay and you suck dick, I'm okay with it. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, the first thing when I type in Mark Harrison is Mark Harrison is destroying Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, Mark Harrison destroying a company. Um, brace for more job cuts, no regrets for Intermountain Healthcare's top leaders. Um, from what I see, what are those uh, articles attributed to? Like, what's the source on those articles? Glassdoor.com. So, okay, I know what Glassdoor is. Yeah, just peer reviews, how employees feel about the company. And Glassdoor.com is also a place where you can put your resume out there to get hired as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Chief Executive Officer, I don't have, I do have his phone number, uh, but I'm not His work it. phone, obviously. Right, absolutely. And I'm sure he never answers it. I'm sure he has a voicemail where he says, fuck you, give me your money. Uh, he's 54 years old, so he's halfway there. Um, and I'm sure he receives health care outside of IMC. I'm no sure. love lost there, huh? He has his master's degree from Mellon, Uni Mellon University. Master's. Uh, he went to Harvard for his bachelor's degree in 1986, so I'm sure he had a great mustache. Uh, I would love to see that mustache, honestly. Yeah. Like those 80s mustaches. I just can't stand Tip like... Tip top, man. There needs to be transparency, and I actually really appreciate the new medical... I don't know if you've seen some of this new medical legislation that's been going through, but basically it's saying hospitals have to give you an upfront bill for your health care. I've seen that. Fucking phenomenal. I think that's great in a lot of ways um, because – and also – The nurses I were, was working with today were talking about that. Really? Yeah. Uh, like this is going to be your bill if you stay with us. Yes. This will be your upfront bill, and that's all you're responsible for. So if you get any out-of-network uh, care, you will not be held responsible for that. And I think that's awesome. I think that puts them accountable – um, there's also been a calling for I've, – I've noticed media outlets are calling for this, and I want to get your opinion. School loans, federal like – student loans? Yeah, student loans. Federal-backed student loans, the colleges should have to co-sign. Yes. Because they are giving you the education. If you fail, they should be held responsible too, and that's starting to happen. I think that's going to be – Well, yeah, like when I was 18 years old, like a dumbass, I bought a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother co-signed for me on it, and thank God I was a good grandkid, and I paid every single cent of that back. Right. But if I hadn't, they would have gone after my grandmother, who had no desire to own a motorcycle at right. all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that for student loans for sure. Like, the, the college doesn't need the degree. The college is already there. And they've shown over time that colleges have almost doubled their administration staff and have had no increase in student population. Turnout. Yeah. So mm -hmm. basically they're getting more money. They're raising tuition every single fucking year. 
they can rob. I can attest to this. They can rob the federal government of all of this money, and they're not held accountable at all. These administrators, this is a piece of shit. Mm. These guys are pieces of shit, and I respect like you want to make money, whatever. Right. Don't make money off the backs of hardworking Americans that are already working a full time job, doing school, being stressed out of their fucking minds, so that you can drive around in your Mercedes. Go fuck yourself. I I 100% agree. Like, I can't tell you how many people are in my nursing class right now. And look at the CEO. Look at the CEO of Intermountain Healthcare. Look at this. Oh, yeah. No, I've met him in person. He looks like... I've met him in person. He looks like he would... uh, He's he's definitely a guy. Yeah, he would pay pay you... He would do good things to you. He looks like, you know, for a small 40 grand, he would would do anything you want. That's the type (laughs) of guy he looks like. (laughs) But, yeah, I can't tell you how many people I'm in my nursing program with that, you know, they're they're getting up towards middle-aged like me. Uh, they have two or three kids. They work full-time jobs. Yeah. And on top of that, they're going to school 36 hours a week plus a 12-hour clinical every week. Right. And and then homework. Like, yeah. It, it, it's just like the – I can't tell you how many – 30 to 40 something year old women I've just seen cry in the last six months and it's yeah horrible to watch <laughs> <laughs> this guy like first of all who puts a CEO as a medical doctor if you're a medical doctor you don't need to be you're not a CEO like there I think a CEO is ve- very well versed in the business of the hospital and if it's a nonprofit they take that approach. But the fact that they hired an MD to be a CEO is a huge mistake, in my personal opinion. You should look up and see who the CEO was before him. I don't know who it was, but I'm just curious to see if that was a doctor as well. Because like, the articles you pulled up said that he's the one that's the problem. So, um, hmm. just a bunch of propaganda from intermountainhealthcare.org. <laughs> Organ, dot org, so they're not for profit. And you know what's funny? Let's read off some subsidiaries of Intermountain Healthcare. Primary Children's Hospital, LDS Hospital, uh, Select Health Inc., Intelier Inc., IHC Health Services, Navicin, uh, Navicare, N A V I C A N. Okay, Navicin. Okay. Genomix Inc. Okay. Healthcare captive insurance company. They own a fucking monopoly. That I would wager to say that's that's correct in the Intermountain West, especially within Utah. Um, because they have a, the most yeah. they have the most facilities available. Yep. Um, if you're in Utah, um, as opposed to somewhere else in the country, uh, we call all of our urgent cares Instacares. And that's because Intermountain has Instacares, and they're everywhere. Whereas if you're in the Midwest or back east, you might call them a dock in a box okay. or an urgent care. Um, so a, a little bit of background about this uh, Mark Dick Suckin' Harrison. He, uh, he was president and CEO of Intermountain Healthcare from, for two years, almost three, going on three. Before that, he was chief of international business at Cleveland Clinic. Chief Executive Officer at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dubai. So he was in Dubai. 
uh, Cleveland Clinic, five years, five months. He went to Harvard. So let me tell you something right now. This is all the experience he had. He graduated fucking Harvard and got a CEO fucking position. Oh, I'm sorry. Director of medical and clinical operations. Got promoted within four years to chief medical operations officer and then was promoted to chief executive officer. So, And you said he's got a master's degree he, as well? Uh, I'm sure. I mean, he has his doctorate. So he went to – okay. So let me let me say this. <laughs> His first fucking college is named Shadyside Academy. That's his fucking... <laughs> That's his so- associate's degree. <coughs> Shadyside Academy. And it took him fucking three years to get an associate's degree at Shadyside Academy. I'm not even going to judge that because... Uh, then he went to yeah. Haverford College for the Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology... Went okay. to Dartmouth Medical School. Dartmouth. Dark. Dartmouth. Dartmouth. Dart. Dart. Okay. Dartmouth. Very Medi- prestigious. Dartmouth Medical School, MD, uh, in medicine. He graduated in 1990. Okay. Then he went to Carnegie Mellon University okay. until 2007. Carnegie Mellon. Uh, then he went to Harvard Business School. So let me tell you this: he's sniffing his own fucking farts. <laughs> And unfortunately, we get in this. Uh, I I feel like a lot of these prestigious schools are just the boys' clubs. Right. If you look at Stanford, right. Harvard, if you look at some of these, like especially modern students there, they're dumb as fucking shit. Yeah. They're just like any other university. Yeah. So it, it it's the name, and the fact of the matter is the most predominant. Uh, the the guy running the most predominant healthcare system in Utah. The only reason he's running that is because he went to prestigious schools, not because he's good. I would, and maybe maybe that's my maybe he's good in some sense, but I think, well, those those prestigious schools open up doors for you to do other things, which allow you to get the experience to do what he's doing now. Right. Which, if like, you... if you get a if you get a um, degree from a state college, right, right, uh, a four year degree or even a doctorate degree from a state college, you're not going to have the opportunity to run a branch of a business in Dubai, you know? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like you're going to school for all of this medical things. Why would you want to be a CEO of a medical company? That's a business. That's a business side. Like that, that is going to school for how many years did this fuck go to school? And you know what he ended up doing? Being a CEO, which doesn't require fucking any college at all. Um, but the fact That's of true. the matter is, he is running the business side of healthcare, and that's not okay. He's not trained for that. He may understand how medical procedures are, but medical procedure versus business is so different. And I think that's why it should be a board. Yes. Like that's, espe- yes. With 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 uh, especially with medical care, like you should have a doctor, like an actual DO and MD, yeah. on that panel. Medical care and college, I feel like, should be a board. Yeah. There's no reason to consolidate power into this one medical doctor, who has not, by the way, has not run a business outside of outside of the medical industry. Has never owned one business in his fucking life. He just looks like he, – he has that face like 
I just I went to the bank and I just cashed a forty thousand dollar check and I took it to the strip club. That's his face right now. That's what I see on LinkedIn. He just has this smuck fucking face. And again, I don't know him. And I've I've met the guy. He's not he's not a bad guy. Um, from what I what I could tell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like he he's been to some very prestigious schools. Right. Um, and you know I I'm not gonna knock his education like i i do think there is value in having a physician at the top tier of running a a medical business i could see him as an advisor for sure but the guy running it is but i also do see the the need for having actual business experience in running a business yeah um like imagine if mark cuban owned imc he would leave well, he would he would run the business side of it, but like all of the medical working and research, yeah, he'd leave to someone else. Advisors, yeah. It, it just 100%. like how a CEO should be. A CEO should be very versed in business and understand like you have to be a strong armed person to be a CEO because business is ruthless. It's fucking ruthless. But at the same time, you should have a group of doctors at the top advising you as to be like, hey, this is our industry. This is our input. Like, we we deal with this every day. Yes, but the fact of the matter is the guy at the top is a doctor, and I don't – So it's kind of hard to, like, cross those worlds because as a a doctor, you're dealing with patients, and you're seeing the effective bottom line of how it's – like, what the company's doing is impacting your patients and impacting – care and procedure and this and that whereas like you know a ceo can take a input from a bunch of people and look at a broad spectrum right like analysis and be like okay well i can let this ride for a minute but this one specific section needs attention and i'm gonna focus attention on that through this person that's underneath me right and um, I, I think, uh, you know, like, like I said, having a, a doctor, an MD or a yep. DO in, yep. in a position where they're able to advise is invaluable. Right. But you also don't become a doctor without wanting to help other people. That's true. And when you're, when you're looking at it from that perspective, like if you're running a business, you can't in a certain aspect, you have to be cold. Like you can't worry about how it's affecting every individual patient, which sounds horrible, especially from a doctor or nurse's position. Right. Right. But that's what it is. Like it's, it's a business versus like interpersonal patient care. Let me ask you this, I guess what, uh, having this guy, he's been through 20 years of schooling. Okay. Would you rather have him be the head of IMC or would you rather have like, let's say there was an admin like Corman, E8, E9, got out of the military. Who would you trust more to operate a tight ship? For me, it's military. Uh, and for me, that depends on the situation. Okay. Uh, you're talking about an E8 or E9. That guy is in charge of maybe... 400 people so he versus was, thousands. Right. Let's say he goes through the training. He's gone through the shit of 
you know, being low level or whatever. He's very slowly worked his way up to be administrative, be more over people, be more on the business side. But at the same time, uh, understands the plight of like the lower level person. Understands that and also has the experience of stressful situation because this guy's gone through 20 years of school and that's cool. But he's not. It's gonna, not as stressful. He's as not going like, to have the same life experience, and I think life experience is so much more. I I think life experience is absolutely invaluable, but um, you know, I I know nothing about running a business, yeah. so I'm not even going to claim to like be able to speak on this proficiently. Right. Uh. But I I honestly feel like at risk of offending you or triggering you, as in today's terms That's go. Okay. Um, I feel like you're trying to compare apples to Nazis here. Apples like, to Nazis. Um, like, you know, I running a business, there's some people out there that just have a knack for it, yeah. right? And there's other people out there who have gone to 20 years of school to be able to do it. Right. But there's also doctors out there that have gone to 20 years of school to be a specialist in oncology, yeah. cancer, right? Yep. Or cardiology or whatever. So um, I, I, I feel like uh, – now, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like your issue here is his specialties are divided. My issue is that he doesn't have any real-world business experience. He went through 20 years of college, and all of a sudden he's a business mastermind. He is able to run the most profitable – even though they're a nonprofit, they're still the most profitable – they're, they're the largest, yeah. Yeah. Without question, they are the largest entity for healthcare in the Inner Mountain West. So yes. for me, I would much rather have somebody that has either never been to college or four years of business college who's fucking ruthless and that fights for the business of that institution. Not getting involved in politics of, of money or insurance or whatever. Right. It's running a tight ship. Making sure your guys are doing what they're saying they're doing. Your vice presidents are, are going out and doing the best fucking job they can do. And I right. just feel like as a doctor, having known doctors, they're not the alpha type. They're not that type that needs to have that strong arm to say, hey, you need to get this fucking done. Okay. That's so, my argument is that I feel so, like – So what what you're looking for in a CEO is more of like a pro-social sociopath. I'm looking for strength and I'm looking for direction. And I feel like a doctor will have experience and I feel like a doctor may know the way he wants. But I don't, I, don't under, I don't think a doctor from what I've experienced from doctors are going to be the decisive make this decision – Hundred percent. You've clearly never meant a neurosurgeon, then. Nope, haven't. Those guys are exactly how you're describing. They are like, this is what needs to be done. We can't question it. Yeah. And they they do it, and then they move on with their well, life. And, and we see that, like, uh, who's it? Ben Carson, neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. Made it to the top. Like he's in politics. He's 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 going out there, but he's not. And again, I haven't done a lot of research into this guy, but my base interaction is that he got put into the position he was put in because his schooling and because he's been in the industry so long, not okay. because he's good administratively. And, you know, I, I can see that argument. I, I, I really can. Um, 
the, the fact that I'm on, uh, let's call it thin ice, so to speak, uh, changes how I'm speaking about this to a degree. Because, you know, like, I, I am trying to start a career. Right. And um, with these guys being the heaviest hitting power players in the region, I yeah. can't afford to piss them off. Absolutely. Right. But at the same time, the people that they are serving are the same people you're talking to right now. I and I and I get that. And and that's why like I'm I'm kind of agreeing with you, but I'm also looking at it reserved. From a, you gotta yeah, be reserved. Yeah, and I'm also looking at it from a different a different aspect, a different point of view, um, to the extent that like, okay, I one hundred percent agree with you. Just because somebody has the education does not mean that they are qualified in any means. How many Mustangs did you have? Like officers that just got out of straight out of school, second lieutenant or whatever the equivalent well, is. Well, uh, Mustangs are actually, you, you have that concept wrong. Mustangs are. Is that when they en- transition from. En- enlisted like, to officer. Okay. So whatever the, whatever the. The, the inverse of that is. Yeah. So I, go I to had four a years, lot. I go to four years of school. I go through OCS. I think I'm the shit. I'm Steve Silva. I'm fucking out there. Like he's a Mustang, but he's still fucking, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's still yeah sniffing dick and yeah. That's okay. I love you, I love you Steve. I uh, love you, Steve. I'm not sure if I can say I love Steve, but that's okay. Oh. I'm probably not going back into that field anytime soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, I had a lot of officers uh, uh, that were college educated out of OCS never did a day of enlisted service in their life and they were um terrible to work with i had a few that were great to work with but i also had a few mustangs in, in my dealings with officers that were like i'm an ensign now so i can shit on people or i'm a second lieutenant first lieutenant captain whatever and now i can shit on people like i was shit on yeah so I mean, a lot of it comes down to the just the simple personality of somebody. One of the best officers I ever served under yeah. was a nurse in Afghanistan, and he was a former corpsman. Like okay. back in the day, he like he didn't even he he got his FMF officer pin, but he didn't have an enlisted pin ever because he was an FMF corpsman like back when they gave ribbons for it, not fucking medals. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and, and this guy was excellent, excellent dude to work with. I can't like, unfortunately I can't even remember his name right now, but he, he was just a great guy. And on the other side of the coin, I worked with a doctor in that same unit was an ER doc out of Florida. Um, equally as good. And then, the, this should tell you, like, when, when people, you, you're more apt to be remembered for pissing people off than you are for making them happy. Yeah. Like, the, like, I can remember those two other guys' face, faces. Right. The dude I'm about to talk about, I can't remember his face, but I remember his fucking name. <laughs> and his name's uh, Commander Gerard, um, French-Canadian guy. Commander, huh? Yeah. He could walk on fucking water if you asked him to. <laughs> and uh, and he, I, I don't remember his first name, but, like, that man 
I'm I'm sure just from the way he carried himself, his shit smelt like roses, you know, and I is it a, I hated every minute working underneath him. Did you say Hubar? No, Gerard. Gerard, is that his first name? No, it's his last name. I see Rear Admiral Gerard P. Huber. No, of the United States Navy. No, this okay. this guy that was his last name. Gerard. Um, he was a. Uh, he was a doc, really knowledgeable at what he did. I don't want to take that away from yeah. him. Super, like super good doctor, but a reputation. Horrible officer. <sighs> if that makes any sense. It, it seems like <laughs> the officers that I hear about enlisted people really liking. It's either one of two, one of two things. They went through the enlisted path, became an officer. They understand the shit. Or it's you have these officers that go through OCS and they are receptive to listening to their gunny sergeants or master sergeants. And they're like, 100%. They're like, hey, man, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Teach me the ropes. Yeah. And those and are the guys who are successful. Yeah. 100%. And um, there was a few officers I talked to that came out of OCS and they were like, they tell you in OCS, listen to your staff sergeants. Listen to your staff NCOs. They... Yeah. They'll get you through your first few years. They have and tell wisdom. You, yeah. They have the wisdom. Like, like, you've been in for six months. They've been in for 16 years. You know? And the funny thing is, like, as you progress, like, you get to, like, sergeant. And I feel like sergeant, staff sergeant in the Marine Corps is, like, the height of, like, ego. And then when they get past <laughs> that, master sergeants and first sergeants are like, I don't give a fuck, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, they, they don't really care anymore. Um. I mean, I was the same. I was like the equivalent of a of a sergeant, but uh, I, I I don't know. I think it was because I recognized the fact that I wasn't staying in that I was I I I hit yeah. that E seven E eight mentality really fucking quick. I love those guys. They're so funny. <laughs> um, my my brother, he's been in for ten years. He just picked up E seven, and he's finally like he's starting to get to that level that's of a like good fucking run E seven ten years. That's that. I mean, that is that part of the Navy because I know no, I know Marine Corps is like that's unheard of. Is it? Yes. Because I especially like I know Marine Corps picks up rank extremely slow, but even for Navy, that's fast. Um, usually, uh, somebody at his length of time in would be. L- Still, at this point, they'd be a 10-year E5 trying to pick up E6. Yeah. Hopefully picking up E6 by 12 years so they didn't get kicked out for higher tenure. That's weird how that works. I remember when UAV opened for the Marine Corps, and it, it was actually the year I was going to enlist, and there were guys becoming sergeant within three, four years because it was a brand new MOS. Right. So you need you need to fill the billets. Whereas you have infantrymen who have been lance corporal for fucking seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> and yeah, somebody salty. has to die. They become salty. Yeah. They just fucking hate everything. <laughs> yeah, somebody has to die for you to get promoted. Yep, yep. Like you picked up sergeant as infantry. Holy shit. That's but, like, what is that? What does that take? Like twelve to fourteen years? Uh, it depends. Like I, I know they have like a weird quota system now, like where if you don't pick up in a certain amount of time, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, budget cuts and all that. Well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily budget cuts. I think it's just a way to like weed out the people that are just trying to ride the system. Okay. Because the military has excellent, like it's not top of the line, but as far as being treated for 
medical issues. When I was in the military, I could walk into any fucking hospital in the country, and it was guaranteed to be paid for. Yeah, Tricare's no fucking joke. Uh, yeah. It's and no fucking joke. Like, the, the, it, when you realize how amazing TRICARE and even some of the other benefits you get, but BH. you have to work for it. You have yeah. to fuck. You're going to pay your fucking time for that TRICARE. Yeah, like I have an asshole the size of a grapefruit right now because of that. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, you, you know, the benefits really are unbeatable. Yeah. The work environment's something that you just can't understand until you're in it. But the benefits are really unbeatable, and I think they implemented this system to weed out the people that were like 12-year E4s yeah. that were just riding the system because they had four kids that they had to pay for, you know? Like they're not pushing to try to progress themselves. They're right. So so it's, yeah, so it's like a, it, it's a way to motivate people to pick up rank okay. um, and actually like try to progress the institution, so to speak. I was uh, I was so obsessed with the PCT score, yeah, perfect three hundred. The only thing I nah. couldn't do was the pull ups, like twenty nah. twenty straight pull ups. And now I look at it and I'm like, why? Why couldn't you? No, why the fuck did I want that in the first place? It's an ego thing. The, the me wanting to join the Marine Corps was a hundred percent an ego thing. Th- that may be true, but the one like the perfect three hundred score. That does affect your ability to be advanced in within the Marine Corps. Right, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like, when I decided, like, I think I want to do the Marine Corps, my mentality was like, I'm going to do it the fucking best. Balls in. Balls in. I'm going to be the salty dick guy who, like, because if I'm going to do it 20 years, I'm going to I'm gonna do it. Like, yeah. I don't know. That was, I guess, my mentality. Now that I look, I'm a little bit older, and I'm like, man, that was such an ego-driven decision. Oh, and you know what? Like... I would have gotten out uh, in four I, years and been like, fuck this. If you had stayed in, I guarantee you would have been um, – I'm not going to bring up his name out of uh, just respect for the man because he's done a lot. Yeah. But you would have been this one staff sergeant that I ran into uh, first fucking day of watch on, uh, of watch in the battalion when I showed up. They, they stuck me on barracks duty. So I was like, fire watch at the barracks. Yeah. This motherfucker, okay, he comes walking in, in civilian clothes, no idea what his rank is, okay? okay? He's a staff sergeant, staff NCO, you're supposed to stand up, salute, and give the greeting of the day to. Yeah. I no fucking idea who he is. He approaches the, the watch desk, I'm like, hi, how can I help you? He's like, oh, is that what we do now? We don't salute um, staff NCOs? And so I stood up, and I, like, start stammering through the greeting, I don't know what fucking building I'm in. Yeah. Like, I'm married. I live off base in a house. <laughs> and th- this this motherfucker looks straight at me, and he's like, this is your home. You don't know where the fuck you live? I was like, it was at that moment, that precise moment where I was like, fuck the Marine Corps. Yeah? Yes. It was that precise moment because this guy was an absolute dick to me. He'd never seen me before. Yeah. Like, for all he knew, and which I was, I was brand new to the battalion. He knew nothing about me. He was just salty. Had and, his own... and uh, like, I was an E4. Yeah. This dude's an E6. And he, like, he comes up and he just starts fucking storming out off on me. And I'm like, 
what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is my first fucking day here. I don't know who the fuck you are. Right. You come up here in jeans and a t-shirt. Like, what What else am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know. I don't know your face. I don't know your rank. I Like, I see you got the fucking high and tight, the high and douche, you know? Like, I see you got that going for you, but so does half <laughs> of the fucking battalion. I fucking um, love it, though, dude. Like, <laughs> the funny thing is, though, like, the Marine Corps has all these salty people, but at the same time, the difference between a conversation in the Air Force and the Marine Corps is, what do you think about the the uh, the angle of this perpetuating thing versus if you put your finger in your asshole does that make you gay those are the two yeah. different type of like and, and and you know uh, to answer that question it depends on how many knuckles <laughs> uh, um anyway. but that's what the, the marine corps is like yeah so down to earth in that sense that's and, why i was attracted to and, it and you know what like Hands down, those are some of the best people I've met in my life, mm-hmm. except for this one gunny. The one gunny. That one gunny, like that is what flipped the switch for me right there. Yeah. Fuck that, the mar- <laughs> that, that that is when I started my clock on my phone. I can't see it. That. It started at fourteen hundred days. Okay. Fourteen hundred days. I set a fucking countdown at that moment like the second he was out of my sight i was like i am done with this shit like i did not deserve to be talked to that way i've never seen this guy before in my fucking life yeah. right and you can't say shit cuz you're in the system yeah and and he's like you know like da, 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 da. and i'm i'm just like yes yes staff sergeant yes staff sergeant yes staff sergeant it's like what the fuck am i supposed to do you know, and then he winds up picking gu- picking up gunnery sergeant and being over more people than he was before. Yeah, and like, I'm just like, why? Why am I? I live off base. This guy's yelling at me because I don't know the fucking building number. I've been here for two days. He probably got dumped, <laughs> or he probably got cheated on, or some no? Shit. He probably got raped by a tranny out in Oceanside. That could be it too. <laughs> Most of these guys, the the angry. The angry SNEOs, NCO, SNCOs, I feel like are just so insecure, and they project that insecurity so focused. Dude, Not I, all I, of them. I'm I'm kind of inclined to agree with you there because a lot of them I saw driving the small dick truck, and everyone knows what tr- truck I mean by that, like the fucking diesel with the eight inch body lift, the Cummins, yeah. Three inch fucking uh, suspension lift and the smokestacks. The, the smoke, yeah, smokestacks coming out the back. Fucking forty two inch tires, you know, and like th- those cunts, you know, like and Marine it's like Corps logo on the back. Oh yeah, big as fuck. Yeah. Like and you're just like nice, nice truck. Sorry about the dick, asshole. Did you, did you put a chevrons on there too? Like was the chevron? Uh, I I didn't see that, but. <laughs> My favorite thing that I've ever seen in regards to people putting their rank on on their car was there was this one guy um on Camp Pendleton and he had uh he had his uh like PFC stripe and then there was like a lance corporal and yeah. then there was a corporal and then this guy clearly got busted down and he put another lance corporal up next to the corporal yeah. and then he picked up corporal again and picked up sergeant and then got busted down again and he put the corporal Okay. Oh my god, Let, okay, dude. It was say, fucking hilarious. Let's say the military the Pentagon approaches you and says, Dallas, once you're done with your degree, 
we want you to come back. You'll be an officer, and you'll be over this gunny sergeant. Would you do it? Over that specific gunny that sergeant? That specific one. You would be over him. You would be giving him orders. And, and then they're like, it's an admin job. You, you still get to do, like, your medical stuff. You're going to be over a facility. You're over this guy. Uh, and we're going to pay you, you know, we'll, you'll be an 05 by whenever. So you're making decent money. Um, that's a very good question. The pay and the benefits obviously lures me in, but I just told that story for the sake of it. Like I've, I've let go of that shit a long time ago. Yeah. Like this gunny, he like, he can live his life, man. I don't give a fuck what he's doing now. He's got no control over me. Right. Um, to go back and be like resentful and not resentful, but just for the story of just being like, now I'm in charge. I got of you. you motherfucker. Like I, I feel like that'd be um, the best. So th- if that were the case, I would do it for one day. I would be in charge of this man for one day. What would you make him do? I would make him sweep up in the rain. Like he'd made me do. Really? You wouldn't mm-hmm. ejaculate on the floor and be like, I don't know what that is, but clean it up. No, I would literally make him go scrub bird shit off the concrete with a push broom like he made me do. You make him sweep in the, the middle sh- of a goddamn rainstorm. Make him sweep the shadows off the fucking sidewalk at noon. Yeah, or like vacuum the grass or some shit. <laughs> like you laugh, but you see that kind no, of I shit think happen it's on. No, it's hilarious. I just <laughs> but, think it's funny because it's the karma. Of- and anyway, um, I would do it for one day. But if they were like, we want X amount of years of commitment out of you, I'd be like, I want the president himself to suck my dick first. Really? Yes. So like six years, we'll guarantee, we'll give you a $80,000 signing bonus. Suck my dick. All right. I respect the shit out of that. Because you sign that contract, and like, I'm not trying to deter anybody from joining the military. I wouldn't be where I am or who I am today without it. Right. But... Until you're in that system, you don't realize what it comprises. And once you're in there and you don't have the option to leave and you realize the stuff that you're missing out on in normal life, then like there's like this huge give and take. And so like having the experience I have now and then turning around to go back into that life and knowing what I would be giving up. To yeah. like, I mean, it is an honorable thing to do. Don't get me wrong, um, but sacrifices. It, it, it is. It's a sacrifice, and that's why you get a lot of young men that join it because yeah. they don't realize what they're doing, and that's fine. I feel like it gave me direction, develop it. It developed me as a person. Yeah, but leadership, all that good stuff. But uh, the reason you have. 18 to 24 year olds joining all the time is because they don't realize what they're giving up. Yes. You know, I joined at 21 by the time I was 23, I was like, Holy shit. You know, like I saw all my friends graduating from college and like going on to make 80 grand a year and this and that. And it's like, I, I am here in a deployable billet where I don't have the time personally to go to the school and if i had the time i don't have the mental energy to do it right and and um and then like also like your weekends are sucked up because you like you can't necessarily go out of town for the weekend you have to be within a certain radius of the base to be back at any point in time um they inspect your car constantly for safety violations right 
like, uh, like more so the brotherhood. So like, I think we've talked about this before, but if, if somebody approached you and was like, Hey, this is a contracted gig. We're going to pay you $200,000 for nine months and you're going to go over. You're not going to have to deal with rules of engagement or, you know, typical military protocol. Would you go back into that lifestyle? Yes. 100%. That's what I was getting at is that the, the, it seems like military personnel are drawn to the lifestyle more than anything. And uh, I see a lot of people going down that route in the contract. The work. mercenary work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would 100% do that. Yeah. I would finish my degree so I'd be more valuable as a medical asset. And just go for it. And and that's what I would do. Yeah. 100%. It's good I'd money. have to get my fat ass back into shape, but. Good money and you don't have to deal with the bullshit of the military. Yeah. And, you know, the. There is a flip side to that, though. You can die on a nameless piece of soil in the middle right. of some godforsaken country. Yeah, um, but I would, I would one hundred percent go back. Like if I could be back with my guys, yeah, the same people I was deployed with, um, without the military protocol stuff. One hundred percent, I would, I would yeah. do it. I would do it at the drop of a hat. I would leave fucking an hour from now. That's what it comes down to. I feel I'd like I'd be like, like, give me enough time to get my gun. I and liked the lifestyle. Like when I went to maps, the only thing I remember of maps was the interactions I had with the other guys going through it, and that's all I rem- I didn't remember the shitty parts of it. I don't, even with like the the uh, delayed entry program where they made us do really shitty stuff, like run around a thing until we threw up. Right. I don't remember that. What I remember is the camaraderie. Yeah, and the guys like being like, "This fucking sucks. This is shit." Yeah. And and like looking back and like doing it, it fucking sucked. And I have no idea what actual mil- military experience is like, but I can only imagine it's like that plus more. <laughs> so. You um, would be correct. Um, I, I just fucking love city. And the funniest thing is I give I, – I talk shit about the Air Force even though I, I, I have no right to because they're, they've done something I haven't done. They were the best guys. Like they were the funniest fucking dudes at MEPS. What, the, the Air Force? Yeah, I sat with the Air Force guys and we just talked for – I had two – out of, out of the class of like 400 or whatever that went through MEPS, only three were Marine. It was me, uh, this Asian dude. And this white kid. The white kid scored like a 20-something on the ASVAB. Just bullet sponge, dude. Like Infantry. Here, Here's a gun. Boomstick points that way. Yeah. Fucking have at it, bro. The Asian yeah. guy scored a 99. <laughs> chose infantry. Wow. Yeah. Me, I signed a B-billet to do security services and then transition into a uh, 0311 after that. And I'm so glad that fell through because I would have hated fucking life. Yeah. You, you know, you you look at infantry like, especially as a kid, you're like, oh, Call of Duty, all this shit. Oh, nothing like that. And and then you realize like, you're you're not. It's not a game that you're playing from the comfort of your 70 degree couch. It's in a the game middle. for your NCOs, and it's a game for your SNCOs because you get to run upstairs all fucking day for training. Well, well, not just that, like. You take uh, the video games, right? Like you got people playing these games in the in the comfort of like climate controlled environment of their house. AC, got yeah, the surround sound. You take that same person that's like, oh man, this is kick ass. You give them sixty pounds of gear, a ten pound rifle, two hundred rounds of ammunition, and stick them in a muddy hole in the middle of nowhere, and like, it's I don't want this. thirty degrees outside, Fuck and it's this. like. Okay, this is your life for the next two months. Uh, 
they change their tune pretty fucking quick. Yeah. But the thing is, is by the time they've got you to that point, they've already got you by the short and curlies. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like you don't experience that going through maps, like, or or uh, the delayed entry program. You like, you go, you do your little exercises at the at the office with these guys and they're kind of rude to you and it lasts for like two, maybe three hours. And then you go home and like, boom, life is fine again. You know, I'm, I'm I'm banging my girlfriend and I'm drinking my beer. Yeah. And like, and then you go off to basic training and then the shit storm hits and you're like, Oh my fucking God, (laughs) what the fuck did I just do? And you spend the first week and a half of your life in that environment in a complete haze. Yeah. Trying to figure out like, like you don't want to be there. You know, you don't want to fucking be there. You're trying to like figure out like, how can I get out of this? But if I get out of this, people will see it, see that I want it out and they'll be like, Oh, that guy's a pussy. And then like, you have to, so you just stick with it and you stick with it. And then you wind up in like, passing basic training and then they send you on to another shithole um and then another shithole and another shithole and it just kind of continues like that and you have some good times along the way and that's what you focus on but you know like if if you took these kids right off the couch that play um call of duty or you know back in the day splinter cell or whatever and throw them into that environment they'd be like fuck this i don't want to do this um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to have because you look back and for me, it's been four years and it feels like it was yesterday, but, uh, I, I feel like we talk about this stuff kind quite a bit on this, um, show. So like, I'd like to get away from it a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. It kind of loops into what we talk about, though. It kind of attacks it, it from different angles. Yeah, it, it, I just feel like it's kind of circular, and we keep coming back to it over and over again, you know? Yeah. Um. But, like, my my current job and what I'm doing and, like, jumping through hoops and getting through school, uh, I could see how that would be val- valuable um, as, like... Uh, a higher tier person within a medical organization or even going back as a, a a nurse or a doctor in the military. But again, like you run into that constraint of like, well, there's ranks involved and you know, it's it's just like way more political than it needs to be. Um, Yeah. And you know, like one, one of the best commanders I ever had hasn't, uh, he was the rear admiral in charge of Naval Medical Center San Diego in 2011. Um, excellent fucking human being, just superb person. Uh, like I was working on Christmas, I was on the floor by myself because everybody was kind of like in the break room or like charting or whatever. Yeah. And this fool rolls through and gives me a fucking Christmas cookies. The rear admiral really? of Navy Medicine West comes through and gives me fucking Christmas cookies. Was it man. just you? He just gave them to you? Like, well, he was like doing it for everybody, but like the fact that a man at that level, yeah, he's spent thirty plus years in the military. He's got, uh, he's an MD. 
that specialize that has a specialty, no yeah. less, like took the time to go give twenty two year old Dallas Weaver fucking cookies, cookies on Christmas. Yeah. That's that's unbelievable. That's dude. what the military needs more of. It's yeah. sympathetic <laughs> leaders. Honestly, like the sympathetic leaders make such more of an impact and create more drive than the dickheads. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that's true in any any business, though. Sure. Like, you know, whether you're uh, running a, like a mechanic shop or yeah. a hospital or, you know, a Fortune 500 company. If right. you're able to relate to the lowest level person in your building, that's invaluable. Yeah. There's not enough of it, for sure. Um, I know my – so my my – family's friend she married a officer of the air force and he he was i remember when he became oh one and now he's like oh seven and oh seven he uh you know he starts getting in charge of like all this crazy stuff and gets put into the pentagon and all of this insane stuff but at the same time he had that humanistic quality the sense that he cared for his guys he had this overwhelming uh love for his dudes and he realized that whatever he poured into his guys he got that in return uh and just the most real guy you could ever talk to yet he's so high profile and i just feel like the military in particular has the stigma of being all these dicks or or salty people but you do get the people that genuinely like to know the lower end guys and love them and treat them like their family. And those are the guys that um, they have the most loyalty. The guys that the guys that treat their guys right, the guys that prioritize their guys' needs, will always have the respect of their guys. And we absolutely and, and the military just. It, it, I'm not going to say it's lacking that, but there's very few and it's far between. Yeah, it's hard to find. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a hard shift of gears go here, for it. though. Uh, so you were talking about an incident that happened with your roommate. Yeah. Just like, what was it, last night, the night before? It was last night. Okay. I had some girls over. Okay. Got a little bit rowdy. Okay. Got loud. We're watching movies or whatever. And I leave. You know, I leave the vicinity for a second to go get something, and I guess he screamed at them. Okay. Out of nowhere. Okay. Uh, and, like, couldn't be talked to about it afterward. Like, was, like, you he tried would to. He text me. He would text me, but he wouldn't, like, come out and have a discussion. Like, look you in the eye like a man. Yes. Okay. And, and, and yeah, I'm I'm pissed. I didn't get any fucking sex from it. Okay. Fair. Fair. He kicked him out. No, I'm just kidding. But at the same time... There was no sex, though. There was no sex. And he intimidated two females. What a man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaks greatly to his character. After I leave the room, right? Yeah. He screams at them, and then I come back, and I have to deal with all this stuff, like... And, you know, just some people are so insecure that they don't know how to handle their emotions, and... You know, that's just kind of how it is, man. Yeah. So, you know my solution to that. What? Punch in the dick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, and you know that that's a threat I'm willing to follow through on oh, as I, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, did I talk about, no, I didn't talk about it. Dallas showed up at my house and tried to punch me in the dick because I ghosted him because of family shit. 
Uh, but, but he made a commitment. To I me. did make a commitment, and I fell through with the commitment, so I accept responsibility for that. And I did get there was an attempt to punch me in the dick, and I deserved it, like out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. But then he propagand like my roommate propagandized me to believe like I should cut you off because of that. I shouldn't talk to you ever again. That's crossing the line. And I'm sitting here like, you don't know what actual friendship is because if you don't have someone holding you accountable you're gonna stay in your own shitty reality your whole fucking life exactly yeah Um, and you're not the first person i've done that to yeah i know you've told me (laughs) your wife's told me (laughs) (laughs) she's she's been there for it right (laughs) so you know i respect anyone who respects me uh but the second that he started doing that shit their their respect is gone um well, I mean, like, and if if he's doing that, like, obviously you don't need to respect him, but was he even respecting you in the first place? Because that could have been easily handled with a simple text of, like, hey, could you guys keep it down out there? Well, and here's the you thing, know? too. Like, why does somebody treat me like that? Like, I get it. He's bigger than me. He's taller than me. I could beat the fucking shit out of him. No problem. Because I have the mental capacity edge. of fighting. Yeah, you I, have the edge. I'm not going to sit here and, and – because he's even told me, like, he's not a fighter, but he'll perpetuate this big, tough guy emotion, and I just don't buy into it, man. Like, Yeah, well, and I'm uh, as a person that's been in a few fights, you, you have to be willing to go to a level that – like, it, this isn't grade school, right? Like, if, if you get in a fight as an adult, it's not grade school. Yeah. All bets are off. Like, no holds barred. If I have a bat, I'm swinging that bat at your fucking face. Right. Right? And um, I feel like a lot of people don't understand that because uh, a lot of people do try to pick fights. Right. um, All the time in our society. And, like, it's like a badge of honor or something. And it's like, if somebody tries to pick a fight with me nowadays, I may not win. But I'm gonna go fucking crazy over right. it. Right, you're going, you're going to the edge, and yeah. that's what people lack. They don't like when they go into a fight. I'm not thinking about my skill in fighting. I'm not thinking. I'm thinking about survival. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it's 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 a it would be a crime of passion, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I just blacked out, and then there was like a decapitated corpse in front of me. But in the end, it's just insecurity, and he has to deal with that, and he'll learn his own fucking slow ass way and that's yeah fine. yeah um but at the same time i'm not gonna sit here and uh, you know when somebody thinks they're an alpha male right and in reality all they are is just a in, beta cuck that and insecure and don't know how to handle their emotions but like i've i think i've told him in the past in a heated argument like no one respects you they may fear you but no one's respecting you when you treat people the, like this. The funny thing is, is I've met met him multiple times, and and what's your perception? Seems I'm not like afraid. A, seems I, like a nice guy. He like. he does. He, he he's very cordial up front. Like he he interacts with me just fine. Like socially acceptable. Yeah. I'm not afraid of him. Right. I'm not afraid of his size but, either. But like the stuff I've told you about him, you've never seen it, right? Correct. Which is that's the problem. He compartmentalizes himself into being a different person for different people. And and even at that, like, if I did see him yelling or being all aggro 
uh, I still wouldn't be scared because I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, his emotions are his emotions. Right. That doesn't have to affect me at all. That's kind of how I am, too, is, like, I'll sit here and he can scream and yell and all this stuff, but it's almost like he's trying to get you to match that. And the second I raise, I don't scream at people. I think that's such an in, it, like invaluable form of communication. It doesn't get anything <laughs> fucking accomplished. Yes. So 100%. when he keeps raising his voice and I'm like, okay, I'll match his voice. And I scream back. Then he starts tearing up. What are you, my dad? What are you, my Re- dad? Really? Yeah. Like instant, like regression, like instant. It's almost like I'm going to bully you until I'm called out on it. Then I'm going to back up like a bitch. Yeah. And, uh, see, I, I don't think he would know that I'm calling him out on it though, with the way my sense of humor and sarcasm and just like, don't give a fuckness is Yeah, like, I don't think he would realize that like, I'm calling him out on being that way. You know, I've had a lot of people, they either take jokes that I say way too seriously, or they take serious stuff that I say not serious at all. Right. And that's like, like, you know, the first time I told somebody I was going to punch him in the dick for bailing on me, they were like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And then I fucking did it. Right. And they were like, I didn't think you were actually going to do that. And I was like, well, See, now you and know. I knew you would do that because I just, I fucking know you. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's just, uh, there's too many people out there that need to get the shit beat out of them to understand. Like. Is he an only child? Yes. Well, that's the problem. So he's an only child, and he has a stepsister who he never grew up with, but he is technically an only child who grew up in Washington. The only child thing's the problem. Yeah. If you don't have a sibling that's there to call you out on your bullshit as you're growing up, you don't ever really learn about it. Yeah. Like, I I grew up with a twin brother, and if he was a dick, I'd attack him. If I was a dick, he'd attack me. And, like... You learn really quickly how to present yourself in a in a way and communicate better without getting super aggressive and yelling at each other because you don't want to get punched in the fucking face. Yeah, <laughs> I used to have conversations with him, like deep conversations. We, I, I would challenge his beliefs in communication or like communicating with other people. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I. I don't know. Like, what are his beliefs? I've never talked to him about that. What was I saying? Fuck. You you challenged him on his beliefs of communication and communicating. Oh, yeah. He people. comes back with, who has the degree? Who has the degree? Oh, because he's got a college degree. Who's got the bachelor's degree in communications? I, I don't think that's the appropriate type of communication that he's talking Me about. Me too. He's shit at communication. Um, well, is, did he get a bachelor's degree in interpersonal communication? It's or bachelor's of art in communications with an emphasis on film. So like a media communication style. At Dixie style. State University. So he can suck my dick. It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't care what you've done. I care about what you're doing. And if what you're doing isn't reflected of what you've been taught, then right. what you've been taught's fucking bullshit, dude. Like, yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, and that that's fine. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know what he's gonna do with that degree. I can't possibly fathom he could unless he gets into Hollywood or something. Dude, here's the thing: like, if I had his degree, I'd be fucking killing it because I feel like I have that drive. I make the same amount of money as he does. I don't have a degree. It's my fucking. Fair. It's my fucking drive. Like, 
a lot of life is what that boils down to. I don't view a degree as like it 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 helps you. It accentuates you. It doesn't make you. Well, and even uh even nowadays um like USA Today last week published an article saying that bachelor's degree have been pushed on the public for so long that um we're actually running out of tradesmen. Wow. Like we I did see that. Yeah. Yeah, like people aren't going into like pipe fitting, welding, electrician, electricians, uh, you know, construction management, stuff like that. They're not doing that anymore yeah. because um, this idea of academia has been pushed so hard on society. And that like, that's the only way to get ahead is by starting your life out a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah. <laughs> um, that we're literally like, if you're a plumber within the next 10 years, you're going to be able to write your own meal ticket. Yeah, because you're going to be sought after. People need repairs done to their house. They need plumbing updated. Especially rich people. Like my old house was a hundred years old. I had to update the plumbing in right. that in that house, and that was fifteen thousand dollars, and that was a conservative price. Yeah. If I had bought that same house ten years from now and had the same work done, that guy could have charged me out the fucking ass. To repipe my whole my whole house. Plus, you did the wall too. Yeah. Like you look at any manual labor, they are they can extract wealth because wealthy people are who's paying for it in the first place. So they can afford to charge fifty to seventy five bucks an hour or more, no problem. Absolutely. Um, but it comes down to like the work you put in. I think, and for me, like I feel like there's a lot of manual labor i'll do manual labor but it's not for me that's not what i want to do long term right right um so i think if i were to go back coulda shoulda woulda if i would have been 18 i would have been an electrician or plumber for five years you could have easily saved up enough money to pay for college yeah set yourself up for a good like launching point for sure uh but you go to the school of hard knocks instead and you learn other lessons and that's fine but you're um, just in a different position now. Different position, and the fuck, I wouldn't have it any other way. But uh, sometimes I would. Sometimes I would, but the lessons I've learned, like I could have money, but I could be like one of these rich fucks driving a BMW, whatever, and not really appreciating the grind of getting somewhere through just fucking being in the shit, right, all of the time. Right. There's something to be said about being in the shit and the character it builds. Yeah, well, um, I, I told you before we started this, uh, that kid I was taking out shooting earlier. Uh, he Israeli, right? Yeah, he's 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 uh he's actually a Russian Jew. Okay. Uh his parents are um from Russia. They're Jewish, uh, but they have ties to Israel through his mom's side. And to him, uh, <clears throat> I, 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 which is really surprising because this guy and I, we've known each other for a long time, never had a serious conversation in that, okay. like, in 15 years. Yeah. And driving back from Dell uh, shooting the other day, he's talking to me, and he's like, you know, I owe so much to my parents in the United States because they were willing to go out on a limb and practically kill themselves to give me a life here. Right. Uh and like his dad like owns a pretty nice house now, but um, I have another friend 
from a similar background who's who's Russian, um, an immigrant, came here when he was 10, just like uh, Avi did. Uh, his parents worked two job, full-time jobs apiece yeah. to, to put him through just high school. Right. And then he went on to college, and now he makes decent money because he's a computer programmer and stuff like that. And he doesn't – it's like he doesn't recognize that sacrifice that was made for him. Yeah. Like being in the shit so he didn't have to be. Yeah. You know? And uh, this other kid, Avi, he, like, recognizes it. And that's why he's going to Israel to join the military there because he wants to protect an area for his family to fall back on. Yeah. When anti-Semitism really kicks off again because he's really worried that it's, like, it's coming to a head again. He's like super concerned about it. And I'm like, really? yeah. And and I like I'm not Jewish, you know, so I I don't pay attention to that. I I don't like, you know, like it's it, I I'm a wasp. I can walk down the street with zero fear. We're heterosexual white males, Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Average-sized like, penises. What do we have to complain about? Right. And like but I can walk down the street with zero fear. Anywhere in the country, except for maybe Compton or South Chicago. Um, and, you know, like, I, I don't have to think about, like, well, if anti-Semitism really kicks off, my family needs a place where they can retreat to that's strictly Jewish. Yeah. You know? And he's he's thinking about that, and he's like, my parents sacrificed so much for me. I can give a few years of my life to the Israeli military to ensure the security of that state just in case we have to move there later. Okay. My idea, I guess my idea, I didn't see Dick. I didn't hear Dick. I didn't do, I I, I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. Fuck it. Like if it becomes to a point where there is this anti-Semitism and all of this stuff, I'm to myself, man. I'm not, because I feel like it's polarizing. If I were to get on the podcast and broadcast like, oh, you should think this, you should think that, it's just polarizing. And Well, so, like, as a as a human being, though, like, would you be willing to help those being persecuted? Or would you just keep your head down and... It depends on the situation. It depends how political it is. Because a lot of what... 1930s Germany... I would have to be deeply invested in it as an individual because for me to say, like, ISIS is attacking, well, that's what the government's telling me. I'm not going to sign up to fucking... Yeah, but I'm saying, like, okay. Let's say, okay, let for example, let's say there is a... North Korea comes in. Mm-hmm. They start launching missiles, and, they, and from the leader's mouth, I can see it. He says, I fucking hate America. I hate all you fucks because... This reason, this reason, this reason, and he's very front. It's not something that's fed to me. I can see like what it is. Then I'm I'm for it. Like you're for getting for intervening. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna start making babies so they can join the fucking military. Yeah. So we can fucking Mike release. Lee's solution. I got it. Okay. Yeah. So uh. we, <laughs> like if if I'm uh like fighting, I think the United States has. The only reason I can do this podcast or even have the idea of doing a podcast is because a lot of the ideologies taught individualism in the United States. Right. Absolutely. So 
in the free market, there's there's something very powerful about the United States and defending that principle alone is enough for me to intervene. But it has to be direct and I have to it, it can't be from the mouth of the government saying this is the war on terrorism. What if it was like somebody that you trusted saying like this is happening? Like a, a family member in the military says like or like if it's me like hey they're rounding up Jewish people and shipping them off to ch- concentration camps like straight up German status. Like from the United States, yeah. Like the Nazis are back, and they're like, they're the U.S. government, and this is what's happening. Would you intervene? Um, would I you think, hide people? Okay, so I I don't think the way that I would intervene, and the way that I feel like I would be more beneficial because I feel like everyone plays their own part is by doing something like this, broadcasting. Okay. Um, because I think that's a very powerful form of warfare. And speaking a out way. against it, yeah. And and that's fair. I, I just wanted to see where you stood, like whether or not you'd be willing to take a stand against it if like it's like no bullshit happening. I would right? die for the beliefs of this country. I would die I would die for the belief of people being able to believe things I don't agree with. And okay. I think that's powerful because that creates discussion, that creates conflict like it, it creates resolve. Yeah. So one hundred percent it does. I'm willing to die for for the ability for people to think freely. Uh, and that's where I'm at too. But I'm also saying like, you know, um, I, I've known this guy for a long time. And like I said, I'm not Jewish, but he is. Yeah. And I asked him flat out, I was like, well, do you practice? You know? And he's like, well, I'm not the, the best at it. I'm not Hasidic. I, he's like, I don't honor the Sabbath regularly, but it is something I identify with because my parents could have been killed for that belief even in post World War II Russia. Yeah. And they still held on to it. So it's like it's it's something within him that he respects and he still identifies with and he's seeing things in our society that are causing a problem. Yeah. And I don't see that because I have the privilege of being a white in it. Well, not just that, but a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, you know? Like like I mean, this kid, to, at the risk of sounding horribly racist, he looks Jewish. Like, he's got, like, the stereotypical features that the he's Nazis— Jew nose? Yeah, like, that the Nazis pointed out. Like, oh, this is how you identify a Jew. Like, and, you know, that, that sounds horrible. But at the same time, like, him walking down the street alone versus me walking down the street alone in an area that's controlled by the KKK. Right. 100% different. Yeah. I'm not going to get bothered. Right. This guy's six foot three and he's afraid to walk around in Alabama on his own. Right. You know, my, and we can experience that as white guys as well. You want to, you want to experience hell, put yourself on a make America great again hat and walk yourself down Seattle, Portland, any of these big cities. Um, and you know, whether you agree with that or not, I still would die for the fact that people can express their opinions the way that they want to. And you shouldn't physically try to harm somebody based on their belief, no matter what, no matter if they're yeah, trans or KKK, even if it's KKK, right? Even if they're marching down the streets saying we hate black people, I'm not a racist. I don't agree with that. But at the same time, they, they have the right to say it. They have the right to say it. And it's up to the people to be smart enough to say this is not for me. I don't agree with that. Right. 
Um, and right. p- the people should be given more credit than, than what we give them because we're painted like we're the dumbest fucking people on the, pa- the face of the planet. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, so that, that's where I'm coming from. Like, I trust this guy's view yeah. of what's going on, like how he perceives it because I've known him for a long time. Right. Um, and I was, I was like, when he was telling me this, I was like, just thinking to my like self shit, man, I I had no idea that it was getting to a level where someone my own age is concerned about this. Because we're all in our own paradigms, like, and and that's true. Like, like all our news, Google, and everything learns you and feeds you the news you want to see. And that's I I would have to agree with that. And so like some of it might be his own paranoia from that same, yeah, filter, right? Right. Is he being propagated to be? Uh, not, I don't, I don't want to see, pro- is he being victimized? Is he right. being fed stuff to make him feel like he's being victimized? Right. But if he's experiencing in the real world, that's different for yeah, sure. Yeah. Like if he's got people coming up to him and being anti-Semitic. Right. Like. Which God, I've never met personally. Right. God but, help somebody if I'm around Avi and somebody says something anti-Semitic to him because I'll fucking go ape shit on I that. Just, like, cause like you have the right to believe that, but you don't have the right to confront him right. and make him uncomfortable in his own skin yeah. while he's enjoying himself. Right. And, and people who does, who do that in the first place are just hateful people that have their own problems. Yeah. Um, I, maybe it's being like living in Utah. I'm sure it's very different in deep South States. Um, I don't know. I'm definitely happy of, where I grew up and I love the United States. And I think this community in particular is very good, even though I hate certain parts of it. Um, glad I'm not in a part of the United States where it's still very radical. Oh yeah. Whether you're right or left radical is radical. Yeah. Alabama versus Portland or it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Uh, being moderate is what everyone should be. And you should look at it based on facts, not emotion. So my my challenge to you would be um, you're saying being moderate is the way people should be. I think and people, I, do you think the people that are extreme, extremist left or extremist right, view themselves as extremist? Or do they view themselves as moderate? I think they're perpetuated. I think everyone baseline is moderate. Everyone wants the same thing, peace and prosperity. But we're propagandized based on our favorite flavor of media to act certain ways. Um, But, okay, so we're going on two hours and 17 minutes, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, This has been episode, oh, shit. I think it's six. six. Five or six. six. I think it's six. We'll be back next week. You'll figure it out. It's in chronological order. We still got to, we have a list of things we'll, we'll come back to as well. Thanks for tuning in. This has been uh, Cheap Shot Discussions with Caden and Dallas. Signing off. Yep.